Hello, I'm Dr. Ling Huang, and in this episode, I will be discussing about the citric acid cycle, also known as the TCA or Krebs cycle. I will be discussing about the conversion of pyruvate to acetyl-CoA, and to describe the different components of the TCA cycle, as well as to describe the links between glycolysis, the TCA cycle, and oxidative phosphorylation. First of all, what do we mean by cellular respiration? This involves aerobic catabolism of nutrients from food to carbon dioxide, water and energy. And in this involves an electron transport system in which oxygen is the final electron receptor. Most eukaryotes and prokaryotes use aerobic respiration to convert glucose into energy. Aerobic respiration consists of three stages. Glycolysis, which takes place in the cell cytoplasm, converts glucose to two pyruvates. The pyruvates are then converted to acetyl-CoA, which enters the citric acid cycle to produce NADH. This then continues on into oxidative phosphorylation, where electrons are transferred from NADH to produce ATP as a form of energy. So what is the TCA cycle? It is the final pathway where carbohydrates, amino acids and fatty acids converge for oxidative catabolism to carbon dioxide in ATP production. After the process of glycolysis, pyruvate is then oxidized to acetyl-CoA in the mitochondrial matrix producing one NADH and one CO2. Acetyl-CoA then enters the TCA cycle, and there are eight steps in the TCA cycle to oxidize acetyl-CoA to carbon dioxide and NADH, and this takes place in an aerobic process. The first product of the TCA cycle is citric acid. That is, that's why it's called the citric acid cycle. One cycle produces 3-NADH, 1-FADH2, and 1-ATP per pyruvate molecule. And in overall, one glucose molecule gains 6-NADH, 2-FADH2, 2-ATP molecules, and 2-CO2 molecules. These coenzymes of NADH and FADH2 then enter the electron transport chain and ultimately undergo oxidative phosphorylation to produce ATP. The rates of the TCA cycle depends on the body's need for energy. When the energy demands of the body are high and ATP levels are low, the TCA cycle is then activated to produce the coenzymes to make ATP. When the, when the body energy demands are low and NADH levels are high in the body, the TCA cycle is then inhibited. First of all, let's take a look at the fate of pyruvate after glycolysis. Pyruvate that is produced from glycolysis is transported from the cytosol into the mitochondrial matrix. Pyruvate is then oxidized and decarboxylated by pyruvate dehydrogenase. The acetyl group is then transferred to the coenzyme A to produce acetyl-CoA. One molecule of carbon dioxide is produced. 
NAD plus is then reduced to one molecule of NADH. Three carbon molecules of pyruvate is converted to two carbon molecules of acetyl-CoA plus one carbon molecule in carbon dioxide. Hence, the number of carbons is conserved. Acetyl-CoA then enters the TCA cycle. The TCA cycle consists of eight steps. In step one, Acetyl-CoA undergoes a condensation with oxaloacetate. This involves joining 4-carbon oxaloacetate and 2-carbon acetyl-CoA by the enzyme citrate synthase, and this forms the 6-carbon citrate. In step 2, citrate undergoes isomerization into isocitrate through an intermediate cis-aconitase. This is a reversible reaction catalyzed by aconitase. In step 3, isocitrate undergoes oxidative decarboxylation to form alpha-ketoglutarate. This is the first of four oxidation steps and is also the rate-limiting step. Isocitrate is first oxidized to oxalosucinate, forming NADH. Oxalosucinate then undergoes decarboxylation to alpha-ketoglutarate that has five carbons, releasing one molecule of CO2. Both these reactions are irreversible and catalyzed by isocitrate dehydrogenase, which is the rate-limiting enzyme. Isocitrate dehydrogenase is allosterically regulated that is activated by ADP and inhibited by ATP and NADH. In step 4, alpha-ketoglutarate is oxidatively decarboxylated to form succinyl-CoA, which contains four carbons and produces one molecule of carbon dioxide. This reaction is irreversible, catalyzed by alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase. Coenzyme A is converted to succinyl-CoA and NAD plus is reduced to NADH. A second carboxylate group is removed to release CO2. In step 5, succinyl-CoA is converted to succinate. Energy from hydrolysis of succinyl-CoA is used to phosphorylate GDP to GTP. GTP then transfers its, its phosphate group to ADP to produce ATP. In step 6, this is the dehydration of succinate to fumarate. Hydrogen atoms is removed from two carbon atoms and a double bond is produced. FAD is then reduced to FADH2. In step 7, fumarate undergoes hydration to malate. In the final step 8, L-malate undergoes dehydrogenation to produce oxaloacetate. Coenzyme NAD plus is reduced to NADH, and oxaloacetate is then regenerated to enter the next TCA cycle. So the final net output of the TCA cycle produces two carbon dioxide, three NADH, one FADH2, and one GTP. Because each molecule of glucose produces two molecules of pyruvate, which in turn produces two molecules of acetyl-CoA. Each molecule of glucose then produces double the net output of each cycle. So the final output of one glucose molecule 
will be 6 NADH, 2 FADH2, 2 GTP, and 4 CO2. Next, we will take a look at the process of gluconeogenesis. Gluconeogenesis is the synthesis of glucose from non-carbohydrate precursors. This occurs after 8 hours of fasting, or starvation, or with low-carbohydrate diets or intense exercise. It occurs in the liver and the cortex of kidneys. And because the brain relies on glucose as the main source of energy, glucose must be synthesized from molecules other than carbohydrates. And these non-carbohydrate precursors could be lactate, fatty acids, and amino acids. Pyruvate is the first substrate of gluconeogenesis, and from pyruvate, glucose is then synthesized using mitochondrial and cytosolic enzymes. Any molecule that can be converted to pyruvate or intermediates for a TCA cycle is called glucogenic molecules. And these can be lactate, which are from the anaerobic glycolysis in our muscles, or glycerol, which are a breakdown of triglycerides or fats in our adipose tissues, or it can be from glucogenic amino acids, mainly alanine or glutamine. Ketogenic amino acids such as leucine and lysine cannot be used for gluconeogenesis because they can only be converted to fatty acids. Let's first take a look at lactate and how it's being produced and how it's being used for gluconeogenesis. When there is intense exercise or when oxygen levels are low, anaerobic glycolysis in our muscles produces lactate. The flow of lactate and glucose between the muscles and liver is called the Cori cycle. What happens is lactate builds up in our muscle and moves through the bloodstream to the liver where it is oxidized back to pyruvate by lactate dehydrogenase. Pyruvate is then converted to glucose in the liver, which is then carried back to the muscles. And the metabolic burden of active muscle is then shifted to the liver. Another substrate that is used for gluconeogenesis is glycerol, which is released during hydrolysis of our fatty acids in the adipose tissues. This is then transported to the liver via our bloodstream. Glycerol is phosphorylated and oxidized to dihydroxyacetone phosphate, which is an intermediate of glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. The third type of substrate for gluconeogenesis are glucogenic amino acids. These are all amino acids except for leucine and lysine, which are ketogenic amino acids. The glucogenic amino acids undergo transamination to generate pyruvate or acetate, or indirectly enter into the TCA cycle as intermediates. The gluconeogenesis pathway has a close relationship to glycolysis. While we know that glycolysis is the breaking of glucose, gluconeogenesis is the creation of glucose. However, gluconeogenesis is not just simply the reverse of glycolysis, as there are irreversible steps in glycolysis. To overcome this, some more enzymes are important in gluconeogenesis, such as phosphoenol pyruvate carboxykinase, or PEPCK, which converts oxaloacetate to phosphoenol pyruvate. 
Fructose 1,6-biphosphatase is also important. It is the rate-limiting enzyme for gluconeogenesis. It converts fructose 1,6-biphosphate to fructose 6-phosphate, and this is the rate-limiting step. Finally, glucose 6-phosphatase catalyzes glucose 6-phosphate into glucose. There is a reciprocal regulation between glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. In glycolysis, insulin stimulates glycolysis and glucagon inhibits glycolysis, whereas gluconeogenesis is the opposite. At low sugar levels, glucagon will then stimulate gluconeogenesis to increase glucose levels, and at high glucose levels, insulin then inhibits gluconeogenesis to decrease glucose synthesis. High concentrations of AMP indicate low energy levels. This signals the need for ATP generation. Fructose 1,6-biphosphatase is then inhibited, which decreases gluconeogenesis and increased glycolysis to generate more energy. At high concentrations of ATP and citrate, this indicates high energy levels. The enzymes PEPCK and fructose 1,6-biphosphatase are then activated. This increases gluconeogenesis and decreases glycolysis to allow the body for storage of glucose. In type 2 diabetes, this is a disease due to insulin resistance and excess glucagon levels in the body. What happens is insulin is unable to increase with blood sugar levels after ingestion of high levels of carbohydrates. Insulin then is unable to inhibit PEPCK enzyme, leading to increased levels of gluconeogenesis, causing hyperglycemia. The anti-diabetic drug metformin reduces blood glucose levels by inhibition of gluconeogenesis, hence regulating blood glucose levels. Now in this episode, we have discussed about the conversion of pyruvate to acetyl-CoA. We have looked at the different components of the TCA cycle and described the links between glycolysis, the TCA cycle, and oxidative phosphorylation as well as looked at the fate of pyruvate in gluconeogenesis.